Welcome to the Evolvepreneur podcast channel, which is sponsored by Evolvepreneur.biz, a new online community-based platform designed to help develop your skills and knowledge to be massively successful in this new digital age. Your host today is John North, who is a three-time number one international best-selling author and strategic marketer. John's passion is to help business owners to master the online marketing world. All right. Hello, entrepreneurs, and welcome to our latest podcast. Today's special guest is Terry Watkins from Spin Frogs Marketing, who helps businesses market from their heartstrings to the hearts of their customers by forgetting the bottom line and focusing on the heart line. The impact has been exponential growth for several of her clients over the last two years. Welcome, Terry, to the show. Thanks so much for having me, John. I appreciate it. Excellent. We actually, um, I've got a client called Healthy Heart Network, and, and last week we had a presentation from a guy that was supposed to be a marketing guy, and he, he spent probably 80, 90% of the time talking about heart marketing. So it's quite coincidental that we actually are talking about heart stuff today because it's almost like it's a trend. <laughs> so his guy yeah. is called heart branding or something like that. And so I said, we've got to do, you know, we've got to do business with this guy, but talking about yeah. a lot about, um, you know, the way that the universe works and stuff like that. So it's quite a very different presentation. What do you expect from a marketing guy? So um, it is. Yeah. It is. But um, like you said, I've been I've been in business for about two years now. Actually, it's been two years, June first. Right. And when I work with my clients, one of the very first things I ask them is, "Well, but why? Yeah. Why, why do you do what you do?" I actually read the book "Start with Why" by Simon Sinek. Okay. And it kind of got me started on this whole why why that? Why are you doing that? Why does the customer care? Why do you care about what the customer cares about? And then starting to kind of drill into those questions led me into this whole, if we stop trying to sell people things and just start trying to connect with them, then we actually have better conversations, better relationships, and more sales. Yeah, spot on. And funny, funny you might be slower than you. It took 10 years to figure that out. It's <laughs> good. So it's like, I just sell them stuff, right? And, and what I realized was that heart-to-heart connection um, in a business is very important because um, the two, this guy's talking about brands and I'll talk a little bit about branding with you too, but you know, the concept of most people isn't a brand. He's going through a list of different people, companies. It's not a brand, it's just a transactional company. Right. And so, you know, the difference between a brand is, is that connection to the story, isn't it? So it is. Well, I think um, one of the best definitions I've ever heard of brand was uh, by a guy who wrote the agile brand actually, um, and he mentioned that brand is really what people say about you when you're not there. Absolutely. And, the <laughs> and, yeah. And it was one of those like, uh, duh, <laughs> like, we don't ever think about that. Does Walmart think about what people say about them when they're not in the room? No, but they're a brand. I bet your Amazon does, but I bet Amazon does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And probably so. Apple too, I'd say. So, I mean, those brand, those are what they call, you know, they think about their customer centric. So there's right. about the focus on the customer. Um, right. You see other brands, like somebody said the other day, like if you've got an Apple phone, you take it to Apple and get it fixed. We've got a Samsung phone. When do you take it? I don't know. Where you take it? I don't have a Samsung phone, but you know, when you, <laughs> you've got a problem. I'm not sure. Back to the person. You That's want. a good question. I would take it probably to, to my carrier, my cell phone carrier company, maybe Verizon. And what would they do with it? Like they probably say, we'll send you another one in three weeks or something. I don't know when they, you know, like do they probably. Like, yeah. Or I mean, if you have the warranty, they can pull up your account in the branch, and then you can swap out the phone. I would imagine right there on location. But yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to know where they actually do that because I know Apple does that. Because um, you know, yeah. I think 
taken things in in a cell, we can replace it, or you can you can basically just get another one, which we'll you know refurb refurbish it or something. So, interesting to know. But I mean, that's a good example to me is what happens if the customer's got a problem. You know, yeah. that's something that I found a lot of businesses don't think about. They always think the customer's going to have perfect, perfect, you know, experience. Well, that actually leads right into to like the social media platform or management tools, um, like leveraging any of the automated systems like Stripe even. Stripe is a payment processor. Yep. They, they're user accessible, sure, but if you ever have a problem, who do you call? Yeah. <laughs> like I have a problem with a Facebook account right now with one of my clients. They can't get their Instagram account to connect. Yep. Who do you call? Yeah. Sorry. I really like, think that they, um, they went to the school of Microsoft support because um, I know that Bill Gates had a bit to do with Facebook, and I'm sure that Zuck rang him up and said, what do we do about support? Microsoft's just, make it so hard you can't get hold of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, the upside is, you know, and I don't think, Apple support's not bad in that scenario, but Microsoft always made it hard to get support. Yeah. And so I think Facebook's the same. Like, you, the only way I've ever get support out of Facebook is a great tip if you ever want to do this stuff, is if you've got an ad account, go on to Facebook and try to make it out something to do with your ad account something wrong with your ad account and you'll get a personal support person to help you. That's the, that's the way I'm going to have to go for this one client because her problem is she can't post any ads from Facebook to Instagram because the Instagram account keeps saying it's connected to a Facebook account already, but it's not connected to a Facebook account. And and the bizarre thing of Facebook is they have this chat thing that comes up, right? So if you go mm-hmm. onto Facebook, the AdWords or manage, you know, the business manager area, and you go into the chat area or go into the contact area, every so often the chat bar will show up. It doesn't there all the time. So what you've basically got to do is stalk them and wait till it pops up. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's the only way I've ever been able to get support out of Facebook is stalk them basically, wait for that chat thing to come up and grab it, mm-hmm. um, and then make it out. Anything like anything to do it. And then pump. Right, it's like just bang. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Pump, pump. yeah. <laughs> If anybody wants to know Facebook, that's the only way I've ever been able to do it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. Actually, there was a post in one of the mastermind groups that I'm part of earlier today, and they had asked, what's the number one thing that causes procrastination for you? And yes, I said, I, I can't keep my social media networks or my email open in different tabs because that little ticker that shows up whenever something happens mm. and gets little number that you've missed something it captures my attention and then I'm gone into the void of time for <laughs> yeah can't do it yeah. <laughs> so I'll never be able to stalk Facebook and pounce them but it just no. can't happen <laughs> yeah. the only thing I've ever done in my business is that I've dumbed down all my devices so that basically there's no audible alerts yes so I don't have any phone doesn't ring no. nothing nothing makes a noise because I think that's the biggest distraction ever if you get a noise but yeah, I mean, you got you got to give to phones or mobile phones. It's made it so gamified that you you're addicted to it. You you got to catch yeah. it, even if it's not there, nothing's happening. <laughs> it, it's a beautiful and scary thing at the same time because yeah. it's so it's so good. Mm. And I was talking with somebody the other day. I can't remember how we got on the topic, but it was talking about our notifications and the phones come pre-programmed to notify you about everything. You actually have to go out of your way to shut the notifications off. Yes. Or else it'll just notify you constantly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think that's the biggest distraction. And, and it's actually, mm-hmm. I was, I've got a link I saw the other day about how many posts and everything happen every second. And I think the distraction, 
and people in, in marketing, you've got to remember they're like, they're like fish, you know, going around a fishbowl. Like one second, two seconds later, you've gone. You can't, can't capture it. Yeah. You're not going to get it back. They're gone somewhere else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, tell, me, tell me something. If, if, and this is something that's good for some of the entrepreneurs is if they're new to business, right, so they've just got started and or they've started a new business up or whatever, what would you say to someone who comes to you and says, hey, you know, what should I do first? Yeah, and focusing on some making some money, right? Because there's a lot of times you can spend a nought amount of time and money on, you know, making things look pretty, but the reality doesn't make any money. Yeah. Oh, that's the. Um, I think it was Ford that said that actually. If it's pretty, people will buy it. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have to actually work well. <laughs> They'll buy it if it's pretty. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of entrepreneurs, um, startup organizations, they get started doing what they're really good at. And that's how it should be. That's a good thing. But because they get started on doing what they're really good at, the things that they're not really good at, they feel this pressure to try and figure out on their own. Mm -hmm. And then they run into this time crunch situation because we all have two things in life we can spend. We can either spend time or we can spend money. And when you're a startup entrepreneur, you don't have money. So the only choice that you usually have is to spend time. And that's why you end up going the DIY route. But doing it yourself, just the learning curve for the things that you don't know Mm. is so time expensive that you would be better off finding an investor, taking out a loan, doing trade work, trade work with other people in order to get the things done that you need to get done so that you can keep moving forward. Mm. Um, so I think that's probably no money. (laughs) Don't try and bootstrap it with no money or no way to make immediate money. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't bootstrap it if you don't have a, a source of income somewhere that you can then funnel into that business. You've got to have some way Mm. to pay for it. Coming from the person who didn't have an income, I started my business with nothing. It's hard. And I think the thing is too, um, you know, you never get beyond that unless you can, like I found a lot of do it yourselfers get to the point where they get addicted to do it yourselfers and then they won't spend, even they've got money in the business, they'll try and do it themselves. Yeah. And sometimes they do. Hmm. And, and I think part of the reason that happens is because we, we forget the fact that there are other people on this planet who are skilled at doing the things that we're trying to teach ourselves how to do. Mm. It comes down to a trust factor. I've gotten myself this far, so I don't really need to trust somebody else mm. to help me do it. Yeah. But we're really just holding ourselves back. It's a form of self-sabotage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I've, that's really important to me, and I'm guessing we had this conversation before about branding, and it's fine. What I've always done with clients, whenever you get a client, you look at their social media and you look at their website and realize that no thought went into the branding. Yeah. That it's all different. And it's whatever, and someone else did different branding. So what's happened is they've ended up with somebody might have helped them with their social media. Some well-meaning friend did some nice pictures. And mm-hmm. the whole thing's completely different. So what's your thoughts on why brand's so important, particularly a startup business, I think is probably, you know, very important to start with because you've got very little footprint. No one mm-hmm. knows who you are. Um, as you go along, you can change your brand along the way and, and reinvent yourself, which some lot of companies do, but you don't have that luxury up early, in the early days. I think one of the challenges that small business owners 
run into is thinking that brand is only graphics, is only logo, is only color. Yeah. It's not. Your brand is so much more than that. Your brand is your personality. Your brand is your mission. Your brand is your value proposition. Your brand is the products and services that you're offering. Your brand is the team of the people that you have that are helping you achieve whatever your goal is, whatever your mission is. Um, so the brand is more than just a logo, is more than just a graphic. Now it's important for it to be consistent, like you have the same font in different places or you have the same colors in different places and that your logo is consistent because that logo comes to mean the brand that that's what when people see the Nike swish they're they see the swish they know it's Nike it's yep. it's their brand it's a recognizable thing but what why is that because of what Nike actually represents yeah the brand connection. And so now that swish has meaning mm. Makes sense. And I, yeah and I think that's where a lot of small businesses struggle I know for me I've just actually redone my branding because I went and LLC'd myself this year mm -hmm. last year I was just a solopreneur starting out bootstrapping it yep. it's $25 to be a solopreneur it's $125 to LLC it's $1,200 in Australia yeah, yeah. yeah. $1,200 $1, in Australia and it's $300 a year to keep it going wow yeah, so it's two, I think it's two twenty five a year to keep it going as an LLC in mm. the state. Mm. Um, but I think it's different per state. So in North Carolina, that's what it is. Luckily in Australia, it's just one company across the whole lot, so it's a lot simpler. But yeah, but it's very expensive to set it up initially. Um, but obviously, I assume LLCs give you some protection as well, because in Australia, if you have to try to limit a company, you've got protection. A little bit. Yes. You know, you, you, suddenly it's a natural person. They call it a real, you know. So mine is, a, I'm still a solopreneur, but I do have it set up as an LLC for that layer of protection. Mm -hmm. And I also went and got myself insurance this year because that's just a good thing to have when you're in business. Yes. Um, but when I did that, I also redid my logo. I actually, the first logo I had, and it's one that you would see if you went to my Facebook page, is a frog on a tree branch. So why frog? Why speak as a matter of interest in talking about branding and stuff, why why the frog? So I um I've always been obsessed with frogs for as long as I can remember. I actually have one on my tattooed on my leg. Um, <laughs> um frogs, uh they're just really cool, first of all. Mm -hmm. But I started thinking about them and it occurred to me that business owners are a lot like a frog. Yep. We spend a lot of time sitting on our lily pad, sitting mm -hmm. in our office. Mm -hmm. and we have all of these ideas. Yep. These ideas are just flying around our heads, just like all of the flies that are flying yep. around a frog's head. Makes sense, yeah. And it, it's hard to decide which idea we need to implement in order to get where we want to go. So a lot of times we're trying to catch them all, mm -hmm. and we're not catching any. Yep. <laughs> Whereas the frog on a lily pad is going to sit there, and he's going to wait for the slowest, biggest, juiciest fly to fly past his face, and that's the one he's going to grab because that's going to have the most nutrients and the most sustenance, and it's easier to catch. Yes. So if a business owner acted more like a frog and slowed down and we caught the ideas that stick, mm -hmm. we would have more success with our brands. Makes sense. And with yeah. our marketing. Makes a lot and sense. so that's really where the idea came from initially was thinking about a frog and 
thinking about how business owners really need to be more like frogs. Yeah, makes sense because um, I think one of the things that I made a decision probably about probably two years ago was was that we were going to do less for more. Yeah. So we're going to do less in business and do more and result in either more revenue by charging more, increasing your prices, or you know just focusing on what was important rather than trying to focus on everything else. And I think it's part of the biggest problem with yeah. the businesses they try to do too much. Um, and none of it makes any money. <laughs> and so they end up sort of spinning around, as you say, like a, like a probably confused frog. <laughs> they end up spinning their tires, yeah. And then what it really comes down to is if they would slow down and figure out how to spin their marketing message, they would stop spinning their tires. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of business owners out there that have bought into a franchise. They've bought into a multi-level marketing system, a direct sales system, or a franchise, and they're beholden to the rules and the regulations that that franchise or that system has set forth for them. Yeah. And that causes a lot of spin to happen as well because they don't know what they can or can't do because those rules really aren't as clear as those agencies or those organizations like to think that they are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think one of the nice things about, in some respects, is signing up for something like that, not necessarily a franchise, but sometimes multi-level marketing, even if you don't do it, you know, intending to do anything. But one of the mm -hmm. nice things about that, it gives you a nice stack of little ideas of, of how you should run your business because they've already figured it out, right? Yeah. And so it's it's not a bad boilerplate to kind of join some networking stuff along the way with no intention to do anything, but yeah. get hold of their system and have a look at what they do. I yeah. think that's a very fast way to sort of get a, a feeling for what you should be focusing on <laughs> rather than... I think Robert Kiyosaki actually talked about that in one of his presentations. I don't think it was in his, one of his books. It was in one of the podcasts or videos that he had done where he talked about multi-level marketing being the business of the future. And the reason is because it's a training platform. Yep. That's what it's there for. Yeah. It's to teach you how to put certain systems in place and how to manage a team and what things you need to have in place for gamification of the team so mm. that people take ownership of the project and they go with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, I do, I worked for a bank for 12 years and, and whilst the fact it's taught a lot about systems and processes, one of the things that it did teach them is how to deal with custom complaints. <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of the problem with a lot of businesses is that, you know, it's by my bugbears is they have no systems in place to handle a custom complaint. Yeah. And, and and a lot of businesses where they sign up for stuff, there's nowhere to email or create tickets or do anything. So it's like, I'll send me an email that gets lost, nobody checks it. And the bonnet is that is the fact that you've got to assume people are going to complain. You need to find a way to deal with them. And a lot of times, I mean, I when I took over a Sage Accounting business years ago, we actually managed to turn that business around from a loss-making business, making losing a lot of money per month, into a profitable business within two years and being the second largest in the world. We're actually taking a big stack of complaints we had and rang them all and turned them back into customers. Interesting. And that made us a million dollars because we actually wow. had, I just had a full-time guy. Just all his job was to ring up and talk to people who are unhappy. Yeah. And, and most of the time a customer complaint, a negative review is really just somebody wanting to be heard. They don't feel like they were being heard. They just want to be heard. And a lot of times they want to spend money with you. Part of the problem is you're preventing them from spending money with you. And sometimes and we always had a solution to the problem because most of the times people had complaints with their old software. So we had to upgrade them, you see, and get them a new version. And they were happy yeah. then because the problem with software was they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, it was bugging and something. And that's what their complaint yeah. was. 
You go, well, okay, we'll spend more money with us and, and you know, <laughs> you'll be able to fix your problem. You go, okay, then. And away they went. So that, that was easy to fix. But, uh, we so not only did you get a customer back, you upgraded them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The guy had the gift of the gap was working for him. He's Greek, a Greek a mixture of Greek and Egyptian, man. Like he was really good on the phone. And, confidence. and I think that was the, the, the trick in that process. But the reality was, is our first goal wasn't to make money. It was to get rid of this massive pile of customer complaints. Because I, yeah. I, it was literally almost a, like that high on my, on my desk. Yeah, that's a lot. Well, in today's world, we have social media that's our customer interaction, yeah. customer platform where they can go on and they can complain. And mm. a lot of the biggest question that I get all the time from business owners is, what do I do with a negative complaint yep. on Facebook or in yep. Google? How do I deal with it? I'm just going to ignore it. I'm just going to ignore it. Don't ignore it. Don't <laughs> <Great>. ignore it. <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Mm. <laughs> um, I'll just delete it or I'll hear, I'll just delete it. You know, you can't delete it. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> they actually have things in place now that stop you from deleting it. Even if it is a situation where you're in a lawsuit with the client, you mm. can't delete it. Mm. Mm. There's no way to remove it. So yeah, well, we had a client, I've got a heart client that um, he talks about heart prevention but everybody's got to be in a bonnet about statins. It's unbelievable. I, I never knew much about this because I, I take it and never really thought much about it. But people, some people out there have really got their be in the bonnet about it. Hmm. And, and this guy came into this group, into his group and just continually posting in stuff about statins. And people in the group are complaining because they didn't want to listen about that. They wanted to talk about heart prevention. And so in the end, people in the group asked us to ban the guy to get him out. So we banned him. And then he started putting reviews on his, on his uh, Facebook page. And we had to actually report him because basically he was going after my client to tell him that he was, you know, we want to talk about statins. You're trying to hide statins. As a, my client's a cardiologist. It's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> right? But he was how he was, and he posted and posted and posted. He had two profiles, but he stupidly friended himself. So we knew that the second profile was him as well. And it's like, it just, he wouldn't stop. And we had to literally do what we could to delete him, to report him, to block him because he wouldn't leave us alone. And he was basically, for us and many, you keep this up, I'm going to get you banned on Facebook because you're actually stalking people. You know, oh, my goodness. You know, and so that can mm -hmm. happen. But if you're not keeping an eye on the wheel, you know, that, that can get out of hand really quick. Yeah. And most small business owners, the, the fact of the matter is, as a small business owner, you're wearing every single hat in mm -hmm. your business. Mm -hmm. You are going to drop a ball. Yes. It's going to happen. You mm -hmm. can't be perfect 100% of the time when you're doing 100% of the work. It doesn't work. Exactly. So there's going to be a draw that, a ball that gets dropped and it's probably going to be your social media. Yep. It's dropped. And when that happens, your customer service interface mm. is what suffers. And when that happens, your reviews are no longer being monitored. Yep. You're not able to control when somebody is doing that because the sad reality is people do that. I don't know why people do that, but people do that. Mm. Um, and you have to be on top of it. You have to respond to the negative reviews so that you can let people know that that's not going to get past you. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. paying attention. So, yeah. the, and, and when some of the things we talked about was, um, you know, marketing automation, what's the best way to fix that? Like I know there's software out there that can monitor 
stuff. Is yeah. What, what There's all sorts of reputation softwares out there. Um, one of the ones that, that I leverage is actually called Bright Local. Right. Um, they allow us to do reputation management at a very low cost and it's it's not as amazing as some of these other reputation softwares out there it doesn't cover everything in in this under the sun mm -hmm. but it gives you the bare minimums and when you're just starting out that's really what you need anyway mm. um, and it's really cost effective for when you're first starting out so that's one that I leverage and you can also clean up your local directories to make sure all of your directories are the same yeah which is in and of itself, one part of managing your reputation online. Yeah, and I think that's probably important. So brand reputation, you know, there's probably two things on the checklist to do. So yeah. revisit your brand, see if it's all right, and then in your reputation, you know, that's, the thing about it is that that will be the the um, the main thing online. I mean, your online identity is getting more and more important. They reckon yeah. that within the next 25 years, you'll be able to buy an online identity that actually goes back in time. So it'll be oh. able added fake identity that yeah. they'll build for you. So, yeah. you know, like... I don't even know if it's going to take that long with the oh. concept that they're talking about with the chip implants mm. for babies. So instead of getting a social security number, you're going to just have a microchip. And a chip like the cat, right? <laughs> That's a bit scary. You think about... Yeah, yeah. And the fact that... Um, that once that happens, you're part robot, and then your whole identity is accessible through the internet all the time you think about this i mean some there's a degree of children that that get you know stolen let's say or you know kidnapped or whatever over the years if those kids were chipped like your cat right mm -hmm. you actually gps and find them probably within that time frame, period of time oh know, god yeah so yeah so many lives because you know you could be on them straight away you know like within a 24-hour period that's pretty much the time frame you've got the only exception to that concept would be if it's public knowledge where the chip is located mm, mm. because what would stop a kidnapper from just digging it out that's right the first second i have them i'm gonna dig it out and then i don't have it anymore yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's probably somebody's always find a way around something so one of the things on the subject to move all that completely <laughs> random <laughs> that was lots of trouble sooner or later um so we talked a little about networking and and something that i I started when I was first in business. I started doing network. I went to network groups and I did quite a bit of networking. And what I discovered, which is what I, I discovered LinkedIn, because what I realized was that offline networking wasn't going to work for me because most of the people I deal with couldn't afford me. So in my area, um, I realized that they just couldn't afford what I wanted to charge. So I then started going LinkedIn and realized how big LinkedIn really was because I was just doing it locally. And then I started using it internationally and suddenly most of my customers are in the US now. Um, pretty much because US dollars lower than Australian dollars so make more money but the thing yeah. is that um, tell me a little bit about your network because I know you say you do a lot of offline and online networking tell me what because that's probably the cheapest way for an entrepreneur to get started right so it's oh, yeah. no cost to them except obviously their time but one right. of the nice things about it I think is you get to talk to people and face to face and, and see how they react if they don't listen to you you know you've got the wrong message <laughs> or, or you're in the wrong room yeah. Um, so I do a lot of networking. I've started networking groups. I've helped organize and run other networking groups. Um, I actually run a group right now for women who are starting out in their business space. It's called Triad Association. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's for women. It's a women's networking group because here in the triad in North Carolina, we have a lot of business groups. And if you walk into any of the rooms, it's usually five men to one woman. Right. Yeah. And we started asking women, why, why aren't you coming networking? What's going on? And a lot of the answers were, we don't feel comfortable. Um, I don't know how to, uh, I just don't like it. And, and when we started digging deeper into the, well, why don't you like it? And the reality was they just didn't feel like they were respected, appreciated, or valued when they walked into those rooms. And so they decided not to. Mm. But then they're leaving all that money on the table because they don't know how to yep. network with their male counterparts. So me and my girlfriend, Kayla Pinger, put together a triad association about two years ago. And we've helped over 200 women in the triad figure out how to network with other women, figure out how to build female relationships, um, get people who are part of an advisory board, really, as your kind of back pocket support system. So now you feel more comfortable going into a room with a bunch of guys, even if there aren't any women in there, purely because you know that you have this group of women that's got your back right. on the other side. And so that really helps a lot. And we brought that online. So we have it on Facebook as well. It's a closed group on Facebook, um, which allows us to then do our Facebook live videos for the people that are in the group who maybe can't be in the room that week. So they're not missing out on our education component. Um, but a lot of what I do is when we're talking about branding, I think that networking is core to introducing your brand to your community. Mm -hmm. Leveraging the community space that you live in is low-hanging fruit. It's the closest thing to you. Um, you're more likely to do business with people that you know, like, and trust. Yep. And who are the people that you know, like, and trust? Well, the people that you're already doing business with. You're already a customer of theirs. Um, you frequent their shop. You know them because they're a friend of yours and they own a shop. Um, all of the places that you take your kids to go, the places that you go to eat, the places that you go to get your hair done, all of these things are places that you already established that you like them because you spend your money there. Mm. So then when you're starting a business, if you go to those places and you say, I've started a business, I've supported you, can you help support me? They're more likely to do it. And that's one form of networking. Another form of networking is like you suggested going online and leveraging online groups. So they have a bunch of groups now in Facebook. They have groups in LinkedIn as well. I'm glad that they brought the groups into LinkedIn. Um, I leverage groups in LinkedIn a lot. I'm starting a mastermind that's going to have a mastermind group in LinkedIn as well. Um, but I think groups online are just as effective as groups in person. Yeah. It's your opportunity to share your voice. And every time you get to share your voice as your brand, you're reinforcing your marketing message. You're reinforcing your mission and your vision, and you're helping people to be exposed to what it would be like to work with you mm. every time you put that message out there. Yeah, and I think the little tip in Facebook groups, and I think I haven't really done much in LinkedIn groups because it kind of fell away a little bit there, mm -hmm. but when you post something in a Facebook group, everybody in the group gets emailed. Uh-huh. And so when you post something on your Facebook page, no one gets told, like about 10% or less, I think it's like 2% now or something of your audience sees that message. But yeah. when you groups, when you post something in a group, everybody gets emailed. 
And so because and there was a nugget that Mark had suggested at uh, one of the marketing summits that he was at a couple of weeks ago out in San Diego. Mm -hmm. He suggested that the future of Facebook is private groups yes. where you're not going to be able to share the content outside of the group. Mm -hmm. And once you have content in the group, you have to post content every day or else your content doesn't exist. So it's temporary fleeting content is the model that he's going towards, which is why people get notified when there's a post in a group. Yep. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing because I know that there's also talks with Facebook about, at the end of the day, almost getting rid of the Facebook feed. And so yeah. private messaging, and I think private messaging in a group is really what they're probably going or getting around to because Facebook loves groups anyway, no matter what you do. In Facebook, as soon as you've got a group, it's like it starts loving on you <laughs> and you get Facebook, you know, you get Facebook fairy dust or whatever you call it. But the reality and is I think one of the reasons that they're going to that model is because they've had so much blowback from the false news and yeah. the um, irate, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they just... Yeah, yeah, the hypey, all the hypey stuff that's out there that's just there to raise people's blood pressure. Yeah. All of that information is coming through the feed. So if we get rid of the feed, then all of that information Absolutely. goes away. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is that in the group, you know, people are more engaged. They'll spend more time in a group. I, I would know what the statistics are like, but I bet you people predominantly spend more time in groups than they do on the feed. Oh, yeah. I can tell you that I do. I'm part of a couple of um, really powerful mastermind groups that are worldwide. That's actually how we met. Yeah. Is in one of them. Um, so being part of those groups, I spend a lot more time there than I do doing anything else on Facebook in general. Right. That KVB mastermind group, like I remember the day after everybody, when they finally got 11, 16,000 members in that thing. And the yeah. next day, pretty much the entire feed was that. There was nothing else. <laughs> that just overwhelmed the Facebook feed with, with group stuff. It was quite unbelievable. It, it was awesome. I was like, wow, I'm seeing stuff about this group all the time. And now I have to actually go into the group and see what's being posted because it's not overwhelming my feed anymore. And I'm like, no, but that's what I want to see. <laughs> I don't really care about this other stuff. <laughs> yeah. It really brings home the fact that Facebook loves groups, right? Because that, I would say that 90% of what was on my feed that next morning was group, that group, nothing else. Yeah. And, and yeah. so you can see that they just, that if you think about how much information everybody else lost out because that group won over everyone else. Yeah. Well, and I noticed it too, cause I'm part of an artist group. And when I joined the artist group where they're sharing their works or they're talking about projects that they're doing, mm. um, that group, the more engaged I am in group in different groups, the more that information is in my newsfeed. Right. So if I had one tip to give a small business owner who is just starting out, don't make a business page, make a group page. Yep. Yep. For oh, your business. Yeah. And and just be prepared for the management of that and, and you know, if you want to lock it down to start with, um, so much that people just can't just post randomly in that group. Mm -hmm. So lock it down and manage it that way because at least then you don't get overwhelmed with people just spamming the hell out of your group because that's what will happen if you open it up too wide. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Let it be a closed group and then you're only inviting your customers, you're inviting your street strategic partners there. Mm -hmm. um, and then identifying those strategic partners, like knowing who is a good referral source for you is going to make a huge difference mm -hmm. in your bottom line when you're very first getting started. You've got to know where to find those referrals. Well, it's quite interesting because I, um, I started a publishing group 
um, book launch group. And so far I've really managed to re-energize two or three customers that were thinking about doing books from years ago because I've basically mm -hmm. liked my page. And the nice thing about groups now is you can, you can actually be the page in the group as well as you, as you. Mm -hmm. and you can also invite people from, from your page to become a part of the group, which is a new feature. And yeah. so it's just started doing that. And it's quite amazing how you re-energize people that haven't had any contact with something. Now they're getting emailed by Facebook, right? And they're starting to see it on the feed. You wouldn't be posting away merrily on your Facebook page, getting nowhere. Um, yeah. Suddenly they're in the general. So I think that's probably the most powerful thing you can do is create those groups of people and, and the community around what you're doing. And I think that's, that's like the message to marketers, find the right people, talk to them, as you say, in groups or, you know, it doesn't matter what's online, offline, it's the same thing. Well, it comes down to the building of community and you can't build a community if you don't know where your heart is. Mm, mm. And right. so that brings that full circle. You've got to know where your heart is in order to build the community, in order to build the brand. You've, you've got to start with why are you doing this? Yep. Um, and once you really kind of get down into the heart of that matter, now you can start having those, uh, the, the buzzword of the century or of this year at least is authenticity Yep. And being genuine. Well, you can't be authentic or genuine if you don't know what that means for you. Yes. Yeah. You have to know you. You have to know what you want. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish so that you can make that happen. Yeah. And get those bonus points in trust because I think that's the hardest thing. You know, I've had a, had a client today where, you know, they trusted me to do something. Um, it didn't quite work out the way that I, you know, we wanted to do it. But mm -hmm. they at least had a, a, a level of trust in there to say, they're not happy and we can fix it and get back to the customer complaint scenario. And we'll try to do the best we can to try and make them happy, or at least settle it down a bit. But the reality is, is that's, that's that trust credit you've got. If you have yeah. no trust at all, you know, you know, you'd be copping complaints from, from some, you know, some exterior source because they didn't trust you at all. They just basically thought you were, you know, done something wrong by bang, you're gone. You know, there's no community. Right. And, and don't try to be Walmart. I mean, if you have any value mm -hmm. in what you do, then you're not going to be the lowest price and be okay with that. Mm, mm. You have to be okay with that because if you're not going to be okay with that, you will be racing to the bottom line all the time and you will never make a cent. Yeah. 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 Trying to be the cheapest man in town is something I realized when I started in the networking because I realized that what was happening was I wasn't talking to the right people who had the money. Yes. Yeah. So the message was right, but the money, the people I was talking to were the right people. And right. So I found that, you know, found you like you find your tribe, whatever you want to call it, but you find the people that actually can afford you and respect the payment. And yeah. there's this theory that one third of the people have the money, two, one third of the people can get the money and one third of people never have the money. So focus on the two thirds that can get the money or have the money because at the end of the day, focusing that, that third of people will never have the money is, is you know, it's the biggest waste of time and money you'll ever <laughs> undertake. As far as well. You'll ever do. And you can have a beautiful heart and want to help those people. Mm but they have to want to help themselves. Yeah. And generally they don't like if you don't charge them anything and, and they don't have skin in the game, then they're not going to do anything. I said some customers didn't charge you enough because obviously you didn't make it important enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you've got to charge them more just to hurt them a little bit financially. So they'll actually pay attention and do what they have to do. And yeah. Important in their life rather than go, Oh, I'll pay this. I'll fix it now. You know, a very expensive book. I just put on the shelf that I won't ever read again, but you know, I'll fix the problem. Tech. We didn't really, you just paid for something that didn't work. You didn't do anything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I find too that the clients who are willing to spend more money with you actually are less stressful on your time or on your energy yeah. than the clients who are spending less money with you. 
you know, I had this whole conversation with a client the other day. He wanted to drop the price of the monthly membership down. And I said, do you understand that the people who pay the least will pay whinge the most? <laughs> you know, they'll be the most needy. They'll want the most help. They'll demand everything. The people, yeah. said, I'll give you an example. The, the customers sign up at the higher level. Do they complain? Have you heard from them about anything? Do they just support? So no, they're, I've never heard from them. They're happy. And I'm going, yeah, they pay enough to, to make it worthwhile. And I said, look at this one over here where we dropped the price and now it's constantly needing help. Yeah. And so you've got to be careful, you know, because <laughs> you can end up, um, you know, just looking after people for very little money and then, then you don't, not happy with them. That comes across as being, uh, you know, you're not paying me much money, you're not going to treat you badly. Yeah. Um, and that whole thing spirals into a mess then. And I think that's dangerous. So getting the price right at the start. Um, and I think the better, the higher the price, the better you get at sales. Exactly. And when it comes to the networking component of that, if you don't know who you are or who you're trying to serve, mm -hmm. then you don't know what networking groups to go to. And you end up trying to go to all of them. You get burnout. You get frustrated because they're not working. Mm -hmm. But the reality really is, is if you just can figure out who you are and what you're trying to do, then you can figure out which rooms you really need to be putting yourself in. And then it's not all of them. It's only a handful of them actually. And yeah. you're going to get way more out of that time than you would trying to meet everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's another reason that you've got to really get down to the heart of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, because it's going to save you time. Yeah. And then when you're in your networking circles, you really have to look for, when I go out to a networking event, I'm looking for two people that I can help and two people that can help me. Yep. Yeah. If and I can find two people. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really the, the ticket. That's the purpose of networking is develop, to develop relationships. And that same goes for online. Mm -hmm. If you're joining an online group, find two people that you can help and find two people that can help you. Yeah. And I think that's have, the thing I've always told me networking was that the person you're talking to isn't necessarily your customer. It's right. The person they know. And I have that a lot where I've had people I've met and go, oh, I know this guy. You should talk to this guy because they were interested. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, and I mean... I did a, a guy, one of my clients met this person um, about two months ago-ish or something, recommended that she emailed me and it was of some networking thing. I think he was doing some presentation, recommended me. Um, she, we had communication. She did nothing about it and book an appointment because that's my client test. If they don't make it book an appointment, then they don't exist. Um, and if they can't follow instructions, well, we're in trouble, big trouble straight away, right? Right, exactly. Um, that's not quite test to me. So if you ever wanted to be one of my clients, if you have follow instructions, you'll never get anywhere with me. Um, <laughs> and the second thing was that I went to this masterclass last week about getting media exposure. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, you look familiar. I, you know? Anyway, it turns out she was the one that was referred two months ago. And now she's finally booked an appointment next week. <laughs> you see me twice, like see me and get networked before I become a customer. So it takes time. Like sometimes, and those networking things is a small world. Mm -hmm. um, it is. You know, they both were in Sydney, but totally different. Like the client that I that referred to was more about um, sort of you know more of self development kind of that the, what I call a bit like the mumbo jumbo stuff, right? Yeah. And so basically, it's more into that area than what. And she's into that. She talks about emotional eating, right? So it's it's kind of like that. So you can see the connection. Yeah. But yeah. It took two, two attempts to get to her as a customer. And then, you know, and I don't think, be, don't be afraid to tell them your price. Like yeah. Thing to do is like if somebody asks you how much, don't avoid the question. Don't I avoid it. Most yeah. I just said to her, she said to me, how much do I charge a book? And I just told her. And she looked mm -hmm. at me and I waited for the reaction and 
and whether they pass out or they don't. <laughs> you know? And we work from there. So the client's still alive. We're looking good. If they run away, well, then you know that you've got the wrong price. It doesn't matter. Don't think that you've got to make them a customer. They can't afford you. And, or they don't want to pay the money, whichever. Well, and I wouldn't even say that you have the wrong price. You've just shopped in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. Your price is probably just right. You mm. just haven't found your client yet. Exactly, yeah. So don't give up. Don't, don't. I think one mm. of the biggest challenges I've seen in business and these clients, and a client did it to me the other day, he says, oh, let's go and make, make changes to everything. I'm going, why? Because at the end of the day, it's not that your pricing and model's wrong. It's just we haven't quite connected the right sort of customer yet. The person exactly. for you. And I guarantee it because we ran a, a, a live event and we asked about a two-day mastermind where we're looking at maybe $2,500, something like that, and people tick the box. And mm -hmm. I said, so we're talking about a $47 a month product and now we're talking about a $2,500 product. Some people will pay. Just less people will pay. It doesn't matter. Right. The reality is the price has little to do with it at the yeah. end of the day because people won't pay for something they want anyway. So there's no point trying to think that the price is the, the determining factor. It's just that it's right. too cheap and you can't sustain your business on it, then, then you've made the mistake, not them. <laughs> but, exactly. So it's, it's quite interesting, you know, there's, and the psychology behind the concept of, you know, less is more, you know, focus on that main, the main points of things, don't just get stuck in this, you know, pretty shiny environment where you're doing, you're trying to do everything and trying to be every single social media page as well. Like, I see these people trying to spread themselves so thin. Well, and that's, that's part of, so I actually wrote an article that was published in Business Incorporated back in 2014, I think. It was a magazine here in the, in the States where I was talking about controlling your brand. And so one of the values of having every social media channel with your name owning it is locking down your brand. Somebody else isn't going to be able to come and take it mm. and do something manipulative or inappropriate with it because you own it. It's yours. Yep. The Great. downside though is, is if you own every network, like if you were on Twitter, if you're on LinkedIn, if you're on all of the platforms, then you have to actually be on all of the platforms mm. because you're not doing your brand any good quality service to just own it and not do anything with it. Mm. And so I say to clients when they do that is, is number one is, um, get your brand consistency on those pages and yeah. don't put those links on your face on your, on your main page. So don't put your Twitter. This is what irritates me the most, right? Don't put your Twitter link on your website when you've got 12 followers, right? Website, which with no picture or profile or anything, because the web guy thought it was a good idea. Right. Right. And, and, you know, like, and people check you out to find out, you know, social media, if you exist, they yeah. do their research first, particularly millennials will check you out, right? So you mm -hmm. make it too easy for them to find you if, if you have done nothing in that, in that particular platform. So don't tell people about it. Let them find it themselves at least. You know, give yourself a space to get the thing up and running. Uh, yeah, I mean, own it and, and then give yourself the space or don't. I mean, mm. I'm a marketing person. I spend very little time on my Facebook page. I have it set up for RSS feed. I'm not on my Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram. Mm. I don't even own a Twitter page. Yeah. And, and that's because I don't like Twitter. Mm. I'm a marketing person. I don't like Twitter. So I, I don't go there. But mm. my husband, on the other hand, eats up LinkedIn and Twitter. He loves Twitter. It's his favorite place to be. He hates Facebook. I don't hate Twitter. <laughs> um, and I spoke to somebody the other day that, that had built, you know, built some incredible business off the back of Twitter. And I'm yeah. not thinking, I don't get Twitter really. I look at it and think, 
okay, why would anybody do this to yourself, right? And it's like, it's, but it works. But again, it's a focus, right? So if you want to be king on Twitter, then you could probably could be successful at any of these platforms, Instagram yeah. um, and message market, obviously get the right platform for the right person. But at the end of the day, I think it's focus. And that's the danger of having multiple platforms and not focusing on them all. And then mm-hmm. spread yourself thin. So, I mean, my strategy with a couple of clients at the moment was get a good following on Facebook get a group on Facebook, get that out of the way, then move across to YouTube, get that out of the way, then move on to Twitter, get that out of the way. And at the same time, we've been doing some LinkedIn stuff. But the idea is that you just focus on one for a while, get it right, and then move on to the next one. Now try and do them all in one go. And it's different messages too. Like if you try to think that spray and pray will work, um, generally speaking, it doesn't because then I think these social media platforms know that you've gone and bulk posted. So they just don't didn't feature anyway so you know and right. that's why that person so successful on twitter i should actually get her on and do a um interview with her to actually talk about how the hell twitter works because i've used twitter a lot and i still don't get it like <laughs> it's like you know what the hell like is anybody actually watching this stuff go past i don't know i i don't know i for me it was very painful mm-hmm. um to try and leverage twitter because I understand the concept of how it works, mm. but I felt like the only way to actually capture anybody's attention there is to literally post every 15 minutes. Yes. Mm. And that sounds terrible. It <laughs> sounds like you're spamming the hell out of them, right? So. <laughs> I'm like, why are you just adding to the white noise? Just stop mm. it. Just, yeah, just stop, stop it. <laughs> just stop it. Yeah. All right. So um, I told you that if we got up to an hour, we're going to stop and we're getting close. So we're gonna... We are. <laughs> Get out of hand, right? So um, tell me a little bit about what you do as a business um, and, and how people can get in touch with you and, and all that sort of stuff and who you're looking for, I guess, as a customer because, I mean, that's important. Talking about branding and matching, I think it's probably a good place to start, right? It sure is. So Spinbrogs is a marketing consulting agency and I consult on marketing as a whole because marketing is more than just a digital face it's more than just your print collateral it's more than just your promo items Mm -hmm. it is what's happening from the inside of your business how are your internal customers being treated your staff all the way through to how are your prospective customers being treated how are they finding you how are they engaging with your brand so we're looking at traditional we're looking at digital we're looking at internal things to help you be the best you can be as as a brand and the view i guess of of the business to start with yeah yeah and really putting it together as a strategy so i do a lot with uh helping organizations take this concept of where they want to go and build out the stepping blocks that they need to get there one step at a time, but it's focused, highly focused in the marketing arena. I've been doing marketing for 20 years. So for me, focusing in on that marketing arena allows me to be a strategic partner for business coaches because I'm not trying to coach the business. I just want to be in the marketing space. Mm -hmm. And most business coaches don't really want to play in the marketing space. They're not looking to do the lead generation. They want to share that with somebody else who knows that space. So that's, we end up being a good strategic partnership. Um, I do a lot of work in the professional services arena. So helping organizations that are doctors, offices, lawyers, um, your, your white collar workers who are in these professional services and they don't know what they don't know when it comes to running a business or doing marketing. They're really good at what they do, 
they maybe have certifications that they have to keep up or licensures that they have to keep up, but because they're so busy keeping those things up, they're not getting the marketing background or marketing education that they need. So they realize they need the help. They just don't know who to ask for the help. Interesting. I had a doctor um, client and we got a 60% conversion rate on one of his landing pages. He says, is that a good thing? Is that good? Oh. <laughs> so, dude, <laughs> you know, most websites do three, 5%. It's like, oh, cause they don't know. As like I said, they have no idea. He says to me, I'm like, is that good? I go, yes, that is good. If not that better, but good. they don't know that. And it's funny with the medical and stuff. They're suffering like they Some of these medical professions are suffering because they lost, they missed the train on marketing. And the reason is because they don't, they have less than one semester mm. of business management or marketing when they're in school. Mm. That's not what they're in school for. They're in school to figure out how to be a brain surgeon. They're in school to figure out how to be a dentist. They're in school to figure out how to be an ophthalmologist. Mm. And those, it's important for them to know those things more. Sure. Than brain surgeon know what he's doing. It would be helpful. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I would rather have my brain surgeon know how to do brain surgery. Mm. <laughs> Call me crazy, but yeah. <laughs> I'd rather he's doing my surgery. I'm going to be worried, right? Exactly. I don't want him to know what platform he needs to be on to reach his audience. Mm. No, leave that up to somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I really call myself the marketing translator. I come in and help translate which marketing systems and platforms make sense for them where they're trying to go so that they spend their money wisely and they produce a greater return on investment. Makes sense. Great. So what, how do they get in touch with you? We'll put the links up and everything on the website for distance. So for the audio yeah. purposes, tell us how you get in touch with you. Cool. So the best ways to reach me is um, through LinkedIn. It's Terry Watkins. It's T-E-R-R-I. Watkins, W-A-T-K-I-N-S at LinkedIn. You can also find me at SpinFrogs on LinkedIn. I do have a business page there. And then Instagram is at SpinFrogs and I'm also on YouTube at SpinFrogs. Great. No worries. That's excellent. So thanks so much for coming on and having a chat. Like I said, we always always go diversing to something else, which is always a fun bit of this. I get to learn something along the way. So hopefully somebody else learns it as well. So really appreciate your time. Um, and we'll I really you. appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I look forward to it. Thank you. You've just been listening to another great Evolvepreneur podcast interview. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit evolvepreneur.biz today to find out more about our online community and how you can take part.